Welcome to the Go Bucket Yourself podcast. I'm Deb. And I'm Chris. We've traded in the ordinary and predictable to discover what the path of authenticity, adventure, meaning, and connection might look like. We're parents of two wonderful young ladies. We're partners, travel bugs, co-creators, and early retirees that stepped away from predictable paychecks to live our bucket list lives. In this podcast, we share stories of people who are navigating the sometimes messy middle stages of life and attempting to come out the other side having led a meaningful and authentic life while steering clear of a midlife crisis if we can help it. In season three of the Go Bucket Yourself podcast, we're talking about rewriting your story. We're taking lessons from our guests and ourselves to serve as inspiration to help you make your next big leap into the extraordinary. Thank you so much for joining us. And now on to today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Go Bucket Yourself podcast. Today, Deborah. Hello. Today, we're, we're doing a solo episode, which we have not done in ages. Yeah, it's been, it feels like it's been a really long time. Well, it's definitely been months uh, since we've recorded one. Uh, so yeah, it has been a while. So it's just the two of us today, just the two of us. And doing a solo episode talking all about ourselves. So hey, take from that what you will. I think that's what uh, the audience wants more of is just <laughs> us talking about our ourselves. What we're actually going to do today is, is uh, we recently had our 15 seconds of, of fame by a CNBC article and, and video that they published um on us or a brief uh, story of our journey into real estate and quote unquote retiring early and all of that. And so uh, I thought that would provide an opportunity for those podcast listeners who may not have caught uh, that information circling around the the web that we did that. Um, We thought CNBC did a pretty cool piece, but we can touch on that briefly about our our experience with... um, you know, doing that, recording it, why we did it and everything like that. But then we have a real treat uh, after we touch on that. Should we end with the treat or start with the treat? Do you want to start with the treat? I don't care. I just think... If Would we you have passed the marshmallow the... test? Are you the kid that wants one marshmallow today rather than two tomorrow? Uh, sure. Ugh, I could I could put those off inevitably. But. I don't... I think it can be an and instead of an or. I've delayed gratification and still continue to with plenty of things. And I don't mind reading the end of the book first. And then I still read the whole book if I want to. Nice. Yeah. That is not my yeah. style, but since it is yours, uh, we can we can go with that. Well, so. I guess my question is, can we be brief with the explanation? So we're not... Let's be fairly brief and then get to the treat. Is that you and the listeners holding me accountable? Yes. Or are you worried about yourself? Both. (laughs) Okay. Well, cool. So yeah, we pulled some of, let's actually tee this up a little bit. So, um, the, the article and the, the, the video go live. Um, I actually didn't even think to look at any comment section because where it first went live is on CNBC's website. And as far as I know, there's no way to comment there. So I just evaluated it for accuracy and how they edited it and kind of gave it my thumbs up approval on whether I thought they did a fair job of telling the story accurately um, as we gave it to them. And for that, I, I thought they did. So I give them a thumbs up on that. A little embarrassed because we do share some, uh, we shared, 
you know, some very detailed numbers of our situation. I'm not one that, uh, I grew up definitely not, uh, uh, you know, that, that was not the way you approached money. You never talk about it. You definitely never talk about, you know, specifics, you like what your salary is or anything like that. So the fact that we opened the robe a little bit and bared a lot was kind of my biggest, um, my biggest, I guess, wonder or curiosity if we made the right decision or if that helped to tell the mm-hmm. story accurately. But I wasn't even thinking <laughs> there would be people out there that had an opinion on this uh, or could share their opinion on this. Yeah, I guess maybe to back up a little bit, our good friend Diana Miriam talked to a producer. Of economy. Yes, of economy fame. Talked to a producer at CNBC and mentioned us. And because of that, we had some conversations with another CNBC producer and everyone was happy to move forward. And because of a conversation I had with my uncle after this came out, which was basically like, why would you do this? And why would you expose that much? Um, First of all, I don't think until we were in the midst of it, we knew exactly how detailed we had to expose our finances, but that was one of our motivations, I think, especially yours. You think people don't talk about money enough, which is true, and so people think uh, they have a lot of misconceptions about what they can do, what's possible, what their life has to be like, what it should be like. Uh, Though this sounds like a platitude, I think we really truly want to help people, and that's one of the greatest motivations. And beyond that, it was just something fun and new, novel, something to try out. So other than me spazzing about my house or my clothes or my body or my face looking good enough for a while, if I could just rest in those few things, that was really our motivation. Um, And that's how it came to be, if you were interested in that at all. Cool. So I guess we're going straight to the icing then and launching into to same, some of the comments. Uh, or are we done teeing it up? Maybe. Do you have anything else to add to it? I don't think so. Yeah, so, so it came out, and then it took a while to come out on YouTube. And when it came out on YouTube, I was interested in the comments because a friend of mine who had a similar video talked about how terrible the comments were. And I could objectively look at her comments and say like, oh, they weren't all that bad. A lot of them were really nice. So I thought I I will do this also for myself. And Chris, you very uh, like quickly cautioned me and said. Yeah, I, I thought it might be a poor idea uh, because I don't think any of us are well equipped to look at uh, comments about ourselves objectively. Um, and you as a person who uh, through the course of this podcast, people know that, you, you know, you're a, you have people pleasing tendencies and you're very, um, you want people to, to be happy and like you and, and all of that kind of stuff. I thought this may, uh, create an opportunity for a trigger. Um, so that's why I was, uh, gently cautioning, uh, you wading into the comments section because our good friend, Jillian Johnsrud wrote a book called fire the haters last year. We couldn't relate probably all that much because we have a pretty small community. It's a pretty small audience. So other, and we have a podcast, which doesn't uh, have like a comment section. So mm. someone has to deliberately go out of their way to find us and message us directly rather than just kind of, you know, put anonymous, uh, spew out into a general, uh, forum for yes. that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so it was a wise 
note. And I thought I was being wise. I thought like, oh, I'll just set a mental timer. Like I won't give this more than three minutes and then I'll be done with it, which is basically what I did. But because you brought up Jillian, she talks about somehow people in the comments section know exactly how to get like right to the deepest thing. And so I went in expecting people to say like, oh, what a big butt she has or, you know, like to be bothered by that maybe, but not really. And I was shocked by some of the comments for sure. So I have to note that I think a lot of these comments on YouTube at least are bots because they seem like they're not quite written in English well. So maybe English is the second language. But then when I look at a lot of the replies to those comments, strictly this time as research for this podcast, you wanted to record, Chris, I will note that. Yes. Uh, that Those look like bot replies. So it's like someone that's like a bot saying like, oh, how could I learn more about this? And then a bot that's saying, oh, go to this place. I I learned from this. I learned from this. So I think a lot of these comments aren't actually humans. I will say that, at least in YouTube. Well, the ones I pulled are definitely, are definitely humans. <laughs> I've pulled human comments <laughs> as right. well. Yeah. Cool. So you're going to share some uh, comments that made you laugh on Reddit and also maybe some comments that are either misunderstandings or would like some clarifications. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, did, I honestly wasn't triggered by any of these. I I was, uh, I was surprised how much, I guess, attention it got, um, as far as just the volume of, of comments in general. And at least on this Reddit, uh, I don't know enough about Reddit, so I don't even know what the hell to call it. A Reddit forum thread, um, subreddit. I don't know what the hell it is. I'll put a link to it <laughs> in the show notes so that you can, uh, find some entertainment value. Cause I, honestly, it, it is. It's it's a it's a combination of the comments themselves and especially on Reddit, I guess, the names of the commenters. Oh. So. But I have to say, you who cautioned me against reading the comments, how did you end up? Because I don't read Reddit. You don't use Reddit, right? How yeah. did you end up at Reddit combing through comments? Oh, a friend of ours uh, shared a comment like, oh, you're collecting a lot of hate over here. I, I, it wasn't, it, it's a friend that wouldn't try to like intentionally like sabotage my mood or feelings. So uh, I think he fortunately uh, knew that uh, it wouldn't trigger me and it didn't trigger me. It was just eye opening that, oh, this is what it must be like to have either an audience or have stuff that, that catches attention of people because then everyone shows up out of the woodwork to, to opine on, on your, your piece. Mm-hmm. All right. So I thought I kind of have an idea of maybe lumping some together and we'll, we'll actually uh, share them. And then uh, we'll have, if there's any, like, any response as far as either just, haha, that was funny or interesting, um, or if there's any glimmer of, like, maybe we could clear, clarify this, uh, we, could, we could do that, all right? Sure. Now, I did not prep you for this, but honest, uh, I, honestly, I think it's, it's going to be important to give each of these commenters their due. So we have to say these in our fanciest. Uh, since we just watched My Fair Lady, our fanciest British accent. So if you want to do oh, Eliza, wow. if you want to do Henry Higgins. Oh. Yeah. If you want to do any of those, uh, it's it's fair game. The only rules are you have to do it in some sort of uh, UK accent. I'm not prepared at all for that. So we'll see well, how that goes. Okay. So the first comment comes from the Potato Chronicles. Mm. Yeah. Honestly, fuck the... Fuck people like this. 
I'd rather do honest work. And the best part is I'm still going to outpace idiots like these while doing something productive for society. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, I'm, so the, I'm happy for the Potato Chronicles if he's really doing productive work for society. I do actually like potatoes, too. And <laughs> if someone wants to chronicle about potatoes, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, uh, I, I thought we were doing honest work when we, we created them. We are fortunate that um, while in the early days it seemed f- people thought it was funny to call landlords slumlords, but we took pretty pretty solid offense to that because it's like, no, that's not exactly what, what we're getting into this for. We want to hopefully provide a good service and product that people want and need and do it with a way that shows that we care for and can extend compassion mm-hmm. and kindness. Although this is a, a very um, much an economic decision. That doesn't mean we have to uh, omit any kind of human to human piece of this. We did a lot of things during the pandemic to uh, to show our tenants that we appreciated that they continued to pay rent, that they stayed in there. We helped them to find resources to help pay their rent if that was a thing. We didn't raise rents during the pandemic. Um, we still are below market values. So I think like on, on the surface, we feel like we're probably doing, um, doing honest work, doing work that um, although it does benefit us and allows our family to have more free time um, to enjoy our lives together, it does not uh, do so at the expense of other people. We have people on our, on our payroll that um, do amazing work uh, for us. And so we're helping in the economy in that way and, and everything else. So yeah, I, I, this one doesn't trigger me whatsoever uh, because I don't feel like we are at all in the dishonest uh, category. Yeah, there are a decent chunk of these on YouTube that do mention slumlords or the idea that someone buying up multiple properties is creating the housing crisis itself or creating problems for renters. Um, I did in the video, to be fair, talk about rent rents going up while our mortgages get paid. So I do suppose there is a fair, um, conversation to have here, but I don't at all feel like a slumlord. So I don't really feel triggered by this. And it's been an interesting conversation in my mind because earlier this year, I went to visit a friend and she kind of posed this question as well. Like, do you feel like it's unethical? And it makes me think like if I sold purses, say I had a business selling purses, would that be unethical? Mm. Um, when we buy broad market indexed funds, are, is that unethical? Because we're supporting companies that may do unethical things, but people don't call everyone that owns VTSAX unethical for buying VTSAX, right? So I think it's good to ask yourself those questions. And we do our best to not be slumlords for, in many ways. And I don't feel like I am, so. Cool. Yeah. All right. You want me to hit up another one or do you want to go with one of yours? Are we saying funny ones? Because I have a funny one for you. Absolutely. Okay. That, that's the primary intention is hopefully yeah. to make light of these and maybe some clarity. Well, I do have three categories. Three categories? Of comments. So I okay. put them in the, wow, thanks for making me laugh category. Cool. In the, oh, good point category. And then in the thank you, because there were some nice comments and I want to make sure that I 
point those out too, right? Okay. Okay, so here's a funny one I just found this morning. It says, I like Chris's fanny pack. It just adds, oh, wait, I'm supposed yeah, to do it in. I say that is not a very good accent. Not that mine was, but okay, let me it was a little see. better than yours. I like Chris's fanny pack. No, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it just adds more to his dad bod aesthetic. I have about five fanny packs, says Christian Aaron. All right. So I don't know if that triggers you or not, because dad bod has been a topic of your podcast listening lately. I still don't even know what dad bod is. I, from the context clues I'm given, it doesn't mean uh, I look like Magic Mike uh, with my shirt off. So... I will admit that that is true. I do not look like Magic Mike, so I'm not sure if there's a particular part of my body body that says dad bod more than others, gray hair or a belly or uh, a fanny pack or whatever, but uh, I do rock a fanny pack, and I was actually surprised not many of the Reddit comments had fanny pack um, uh, mentions. Well, I think you know why. My friends uh, made made fun of that uh, first. (laughs) Which is funny, right? You're oh, yeah. proudly rocking your fanny pack and knowingly that yeah. you get made fun of for it. But also, do you think many of the Reddit comments actually watched it? Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, most of them didn't are okay. the ones that I'm highlighting. All right. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> okay, this one's a little bit longer, uh, but the name is already gold. Habanero in the urethra. So Habanero in the urethra writes, I'm a real estate investor who's slightly confused about their numbers here. Oh, I'm going a little Australian, it sounds like. (laughs) My average property value is lower than theirs and cash flow is higher per unit. They likely own $4 million worth of assets and are leveraged out the Aspia Burr strategy 2014 to 2019. Oh, you are, I think, Australian right now. It's because we're watching that. Mythic Quest show. Okay. Four million in assets, two hundred K per house, three point two million dollars in debt plus seven forty K cash that the article says they have equals a one point five million net worth. This is not the best position due to, to be in considering that they are likely holding five one arm commercial loans as their asset values fall and will not be eligible for refinance, and they will find themselves hit by rate adjustments. Additionally, with higher leverage, they will fall under the bank's allowable LTV ratio. <laughs> Assuming they currently pay around 16000 a month on $3.2 million at 4.4% APR, their entire 60 k per year is likely to be wiped out if their rate adjusts to just 7%, bringing their total payment to 21000 a month. Whoa. Yeah. This guy really is smart and did his homework. So Habanero and the urethra, I do think actually watched or read the article because he did pull out some numbers, but he definitely got creative and started filling in the blanks on other numbers that he wanted um, to do. So yeah, this one, uh, basically, there was a lot of consensus around this. Um, A 5-1 arm is actually more generous than most people thought that we all have three one arms. So what is an arm? An arm is an adjustable rate mortgage. Um, it was largely contributable to the 2009 uh, crisis because a lot of people held adjustable rate mortgages and were barely scraping by paying at low interest rates. So when interest rates went up, uh, they felt the pain and pressure. And that's when a lot of um, banks and short sales and foreclosures happened. And they also, it implies that there's low to no money down in a in the arms during the housing foreclosure. Yeah. People didn't have 
uh, much equity in their homes at all, or if any. Yeah. So then the other uh, strategy, or he mentions the Burr strategy up top. Um, that one is famous from, at least from what, the where I know it is, the bigger pockets days, I would say Brandon Turner and David Green are, are largely touted for using that strategy. And, and what it means is you buy a house um, as is in poor condition. And so you buy it with a, a down payment, possibly even a borrowed down payment, then you refinance or you rehab it and then uh, you get it to a higher value and then you refinance it off that new higher value so you can pull more money out. And the reason this po- this model is either highly touted or popular among some real estate investors is because in essence, it's a perpetual way to keep your own money out of the game and only playing with other people's money or very much uh, playing with other people's money. The downside to it is you are uh, pressing the lever button of, of uh, having more debt uh, to equity. Your debt to equity ratio is higher, um, meaning that you have more debt compared to the equity you have in all of the properties. So a lot of people will make this claim that the Burr strategy is reckless and imprudent. I'm sure people have got burned on that strategy. We did not want to uh, implement this strategy, so we only did it on um, one acquisition of four units out of all of the ones we did. And even then we didn't, uh, we didn't pull out as much as we could have. And we definitely didn't pull out, um, more as our equity started to climb over 2016 through 2020, 2021. And we just essentially ended up getting a commercial loan on that property and not doing, not like leveraging another property on that property. Correct. Yeah, so uh, this this could easily go in the weeds. I want to give clarity without um, just overloading some people. But if you are, um, if you are a real estate investor or a potential real estate investor and want to know more, we do have some seven one arms, meaning that every seven years uh, the rate will adjust. We do have some of those set to adjust in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. So in a situation, if you were barely cash flowing at all and leveraged uh, to the hilt or some people in a future comment you will hear have a better metaphor than or a better analogy than leverage to the, the hilt. But if you're leveraged high, have very little cash flow um, excess, your margins aren't very high on that and your rate adjusts and you don't have any ability to, to remedy that, then yeah, you can get into trouble. And so we foresaw that potential. And so we, we implemented a strategy of having enough cash on the side to actually pay off some of our loans um, if and when we did enter into a, a, a place of rising interest rates, which at the time seemed like um, not a long shot per se, but it seemed like, wow, man, they, these interest rates and the way the Fed was, was operating, they just kept driving them lower and lower. So it didn't seem like it was likely going to happen, but likely um, wasn't safe enough for us. So we ended up uh, deciding to keep a fair amount of cash on on the side and we will decide uh, next year if we are going to pay off the mortgages that are going to adjust or just adjust, uh, let them adjust and, you know, pay the higher uh, mortgage rate. But we also have a number of 30 year fixed rates. Um, So it's about half and half of all of our loans are 30 years compared to uh, a 20 year amortization with a seven one arm. A lot of technical jargon. And just good to note that we have 
put 20 to 25% down on each property that we financed. So we do have equity in those properties. They are all cash flowing well. And your numbers are always super conservative. So I would say our cash flow numbers that were in the video are probably quite conservative. Uh, we live off less than our cash flow, and we do have a strong cash position that we can decide what to do with um, if they adjust to a level we're uncomfortable with. But no, if they were to adjust to a rate of 7%, we would still cash flow on those properties, even at that rate. Yes. Okay. And uh, this one, since it's in the same line, uh, I'm just going to add it on, but no, give no reflection. So this one, pretty dull name, Rock Dude Six Two Five, but anyways, Rock Dude Six Two Five says, "I'd say forty properties to only have what I assume is a one point five million dollar line of credit. They must have so much leverage it would give Archimedes a hard on." I didn't even know Archimedes was known for his hard ons, but uh, yeah, I guess if you're the Rock Dude, you probably see hard ons in a in a lot of places. So thank you, Rock Dude. We do have a line of credit a little bit. We don't use it. Oh, yeah, we do have a, yeah, but I think he's saying that he's probably making the assumption that all of our, yes. all of our quote unquote down payments were done on a HELOC or home equity line of credit. I understand. I just thought I would say, actually, we do have one. It's way smaller than that and we don't use it, but we know we a local a investor that has, that finances his properties on a HELOC doing very well through the pandemic and otherwise, yes, um, Man, I, I just can't do this accent. I can't figure out how to make it, but... Do Eliza Doolittle. You do an Eli amazing Eliza. Eliza. Is that a Cockney? Cockney accent. Yeah, but how do you say Debbie in Cockney? Debbie! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're going to offend someone out there. But. Oh, um, okay, so this... I want to just say this one because there were a lot that hit really close to my heart in this vein, but it's funny and it's notable. This one says... Derby was making Subway money. Did I say it right? Yeah, they're probably like Subway. You know, Subway money. I wouldn't hit that B too hard, I don't think. And you know what? You're right. I was making Subway money. There was this other comment, this one that kind of got to me, that said, this lady made 32K for 14 years. Talk about low to no ambition. And her name was Lorraine. And I want to note her name because she will come up later. I think she has Ooh. a crush on you, Chris. <laughs> and wouldn't? what Lorraine doesn't know is I maxed out at 32K. When I started teaching, I was making, I was part-time. So making about 11,000 a year. When I went to full-time, I made 24,000 a year. And that was a really well-paying district it, as far as the state numbers went. And after 14 years teaching, I worked all the way up to 32,000 a year. So that is correct. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, a few people, I think you, I didn't ever actually look at the YouTube comments, but I heard you mention a few. They seem to be more, in, uh, I guess, caring about our income compared to Reddit is awfully concerned about our debt and leveraging. So uh, yeah, so it's good to know that it's, there's a good blend of, of concern for us out there. Yeah, people really thought I was maybe like a 
I was just living off of your dime, Chris. Oh, wait, though. And if it weren't for you, I'd be in the gutter, basically. You got a snipe? Hey, uh, Eliza yeah. was a gutter snipe, yeah. wasn't she? I would be. Eli- yeah. Oh. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> oh, Russell Brand. Why aren't we doing Russell Brand? Oh, Russell. 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 I can't. I haven't watched. Anyways. Anyway. Um, so there, I, I do want to note this, that. The video said you made about 110k a year, which was true. That was like your maxed out salary when you left. But for much of our relationship and marriage, you were making less than 50,000 a year. Yeah, so over a 20-year career, draw a line from at one end making I think 30, 35 was around my starting salary to 100, barely over 100, it wasn't 110. Uh, my last year, I, I got paid for a lot of stuff my last year. So maybe that's where they, Oh, you got a all, bonus. Yeah, so all they my sick leave and, and yeah. all of that. But anyways, so draw a line from 30 to a hundred K starting from 19 uh, or from 2000 to 2019. And that's a pretty solid estimate of, of how much I made throughout that, that career. So yeah, and it's I, I good mean, to it was, know, cause that we paid down all of our debt and started buying rental properties with an income that was below a hundred K per year combined. And that's notable. And it's fine that people also see what your last year's salary was and that's fine. But when you look at it out of context, because just, you have to keep in mind, it's an eight minute video to talk about a whole life's worth of money issues and a short article. So when you look at it as Debbie's a freeloader and has no ambition and makes 32K a year. And Chris makes 110K a year. And you add that up. Someone was like, well, that's two and a half million just in the short amount of time they've worked. Who wouldn't be able to blah, 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 blah. So I just thought I would bring that up. Yeah. And and of course, those numbers are, you know, gross pay uh, before, you know, insurance taxes and all of the other stuff that comes in. So 32K was gross pay, Chris. Yes, Yes, dear. And yep. some people empathize with teachers in that respect in the comments. And many were like, what dumbasses teachers are for being teachers. So take from that what you will. Yeah. Another piece that I will say that was not part of the article, but had a lot to do with how we got to a place of when we decided to start investing in real estate, that we were able to go aggressive so fast is, although both of us, um, worked, uh, you know, you worked about 15 years. I worked about 20 years, although we, we both did that and we both had slight increases throughout. Um, we never really utilized those increases. So even like, uh, let's say I I went from making 50 K to 70 K one year, 50 K to 60 K one year. Um, we were still basically living off of like 35 to 40 K. We just never, uh, inflated our, our lifestyle as our incomes grew. And so we used that in some years before real estate was involved. We used that to aggressively pay down on our mortgage or refinance to a, a shorter term mortgage. So like we went from a 30 year to a 15 year, then refinance to a 10 year and then paid that off three years early. Um, so we, we were fairly conservative and I guess frugal um, with our lifestyles, but it, at, at times it didn't really feel like frugal to me. But anyways, Yes. Am I up now? If you want to be, or I can go again. Yeah, this one, nothing too special here, but R underscore silver one says, 19 properties, 
1.5 million net worth, bankruptcy incoming, leverage <laughs> to the tits. And then uh, Brooklyn Davis was inspired by uh, R. Silver's uh, words. And so Brooklyn Saver said, yep, they'll be walking again at 42. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I don't have much to add, except oh, that do, I'm 43. I'm 43, too. And so. we retired at 40. Yeah. So anyways, uh, probably did not watch or read the article, but uh, thank you, gentlemen or ladies, for those comments. I have a nice one. Do you want to hear a nice one? I'd love to hear it. Okay, so this guy, I think, is appendicitis. Appendicitis? Is that multiple appendixes? I think so. Jeez. Vocabulary lesson here today, friends. Good fam. This is amazing. Oh, hang on my screen. Sorry. Good for him. This is amazing. The guy won at life. He got the pretty girl and even got to retire early. LOL. Which I thought was notable because it was the only mention I thought of what I looked like or my body. But then remember Lorraine from the last comment? Ooh, Lorraine's back. She replies, pretty laugh emoji dot dot dot. Okay. She is as interesting as watching paint dry. Old, all caps, and boring. Holy cow. <laughs> nice work. You are, yeah. are kind of You're the catch, Chris. <laughs> because later, I just want to note this. I couldn't find this comment, but there's one that says he divorced her. She done. Oh. So yeah. people really like you in your fanny pack, I must say. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I think uh, I found my people in the, yeah. in the hate comments section of, <laughs> of YouTube and Reddit. You better find Lorraine. <clears throat> yep, yep. Okay, um, 20N says, who can retire at 40 with a net worth of 1.5 million? I guess if you live very frugally, but that's a lot of years to live off a portfolio that probably throws off 40 to 50K a year. So, uh, I, I mean, I was like, well... Um, there's no real um, inconsistencies between what they what they read or or saw, um, uh, but they they are apparently baffled by this. So I thought the reason to to highlight this one is maybe there's some clarity on the baffling element of that because it doesn't really show what um, our expenses are. It just says like here's their monthly expenses. So what you don't see in those monthly expenses are a mortgage, car payments, um, and uh, and eating a lot of eating out. They say like in, in the fire financial independence world, uh, the big three are housing, automobiles and food. And so while our grocery bill is probably close to average compared to some people, uh, it still might be less than your average family of four, but our home and automobiles are probably way less than the average because we do not have a mortgage and we do not have car payments. Um, so that's where that forty-five to 50000 a year um, starts to seem, I guess, a little more feasible because when I look at our budget, which I think at times I feel like, damn, we're living pretty lavishly uh, with how much we spend sometimes on travel and, and vacations and things like that. Um, yeah, if you don't have a, a mortgage or auto loans and, and all of that, it, uh, it I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there's still places and our income taxes are low. So because of those, those big three, big four things being way lower than the, uh, the typical Americans, um, it feels much easier probably than some people would, 
would think relative to their situation. Plus, I drink really good tea for that. Yeah, you do. But also, I the way I read that is this person is looking at our portfolio in quotes as though we're living off of a certain percentage of investments every year. But what we're really doing is living off of cash flow. And that happens in perpetuity. So it's not the same as drawing down from investments in the market. So the amount of our portfolio, in my opinion, is insignificant because what is important is our monthly expenses and our amount of cash flow. And because our monthly expenses are less than our amount of cash flow, uh, then we are okay. Yeah, some uh, there was one lady, and I think I have some of hers, but uh, Yola Latalapia uh, was a, a quite a defender of us and our story. Uh, she had some quite the comments on in the other direction of basically making fun of the people that were throwing hate. But um, Yola and the Talapia pointed that out to several of the commenters, like, "Look, um, it really doesn't matter what their net worth is or what their their um, the amount they have invested in." equities in the market and in index funds, things like that. Because at this point, uh, she pointed out and is very accurate. Those are doing nothing but growing for us. We're not touching them. We're not selling them. They're not part of our real estate strategy. They're not part of our income strategy at this point. So right now um, we're just coasting off of allowing those things to do what the market's going to do, which is go up more than it goes down. Um, But it does not really affect our day to day at this point. So it's only even more like icing on the cake when and if that time comes where we start to utilize um, those retirement accounts and, and stock accounts that we have uh, amassed. Yeah, there were there was a comment like that on YouTube about us being Coast Fi uh, versus Fi, like financially independent, we're Coast Fi. Um, we don't really label it like that. I mean, I don't well, care. Well, Coast Fi implies that you, <clears throat> you scrimped and saved a big amount and then you you still work uh, from time to time, but you don't have to you don't have to do much since you front loaded so much of that. So it's it's so kind of a blend, sort of yeah, hybrid hybrid coast. Or some people call it barista fi because we technically still work, and some people were super pissed off Ooh. that we would say we were retired, which we don't really ever say. I say it, but unless I, we're on I know CNBC, I guess <laughs> that's <it>. when, <laughs> only when people are listening. <laughs> well, yeah. CNBC wants to label it catchy. I mean, I they don't want think to they're denying that. And we aren't denying, I mean, clickbait is a thing. It's, there are algorithms and if people want to make money on the internet, they got to understand the algorithms. So that's that. Yep. And then there was a, there was a comment back by Zerifex to Twintian. Um, not only, not only this, but I want to know how they have at least two kids. We only do have two kids. <laughs> uh, it mentioned their second daughter early in the article and the four of them live on two only five hundred to three thousand a month. Meanwhile, I get excited if my monthly average for myself and my cat dips below thirty seven hundred. Yeah, so if you're paying, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a rent or a mortgage payment, and um, you're bringing in thirty seven hundred, then yeah, I I would be excited too. Uh, AKA scared, nervous, anxious. Um, if if my my monthly income dropped below $3,700. So that's me assuming that they have a mortgage or um, uh, a rent because, uh, payment because, yeah, again, in, in our situation, oh, just as a prime example, uh, October 2022, 
we co- our our income was zero dollars from uh, from real estate that month. Mm. Uh, it's very it's very up and down, up and down. So we've done it for six, seven years now. We've seen that volatility. Volatility. We always keep cushion around um, for those volatile moments because some months it'll be way more than that $3,500 average uh, per month. So, And to be clear about how investing works, we have a large cushion that CNBC didn't want to include because it's called cash. So we have so much cushion that some investors, this is how investing works. It's about risk tolerance or personal beliefs or what people like or don't like. We have so much cushion that investors would say we have too much cushion and we're idiots or someone, you know, no other one people would call on us idiots, here, Deb, they're not that mean. <laughs> other people on here say we don't have enough, but I actually love that one. Cause I'll just like springboard off of it a little bit because I think that's what we're trying to do. It's provoking thought in someone. How can these people live off of, um, that amount? Whereas I live off of this amount. And there were comments like that on YouTube. Of course, one said, I, I guess it depends on where you live. So hard to live off that much monthly where I live. Good point. It does depend on where you live. And if you can control where you live and the cost of living where you live, then your chances of being able to have more freedom in your life might be greater. And someone um, else said, how do you retire in LA? LOL. Wait, no, I'm going to use a different accent for that. So how do you retire in LA? First you take the five to the north and then you get the 15. Now that's another shitty Southern California accent. Sorry, Southern California friends. But it's probably very hard to retire in LA. I mean, that's just reality. Yeah. um, And we uh, don't live there. Absolutely. Our friend Rachel Richards of Money Honey fame um, gave a speech at Camp Fi Rocky Mountain this last year. And that's what she said. She's like, I don't plan to retire in, um, in, in a high living state and I don't invest in a high cost of living state. That doesn't mean I don't go there. That doesn't mean I, I don't enjoy those things, but there, she likes to vacation there. She likes to spend uh, quality time doing fun things in those high cost of living states, but, uh, let her money work where it's better, uh, taken advantage of. And so, so we employ a similar, uh, philosophy and concept. We, we invest in rural Colorado and Memphis, Tennessee, neither of which I think are like on uh, travel and leisure's sexiest 10 spots in, in the world to live. Uh, but that's not what we want our real estate investments to be is the sexiest thing. We just want them to be everyday blue cat, blue, cl- uh, blue collar, uh, cash flowing properties. And if we want to go visit uh, LA or the Maldives or other places that cost a lot of money, cool we'll use our rental cash flow to get us there. Yes. Uh, did I, have I done no more land bro yet? I'm not sure to be yeah. honest. Uh, his has a red triggered underneath the bottom. I don't know if he was triggered and when he wrote this or if, if Reddit uh, triggered him or something, but uh, it's really long too. no more land bro uh, <laughs> wrote. Sounds like a couple that will be back to work at 45 because 19 properties and 1.5 million net worth means a potential max equity of 80K per home. I thought, <laughs> assume they meant home. Uh, they'll be underwater soon. And if, and if some of their tenants stop paying or taxes go up or a few unexpected maintenances occur and boom, now they're trying to find a job after being employed for five plus years in the middle of a recession. 
Okay. So yes, um, this one, while maybe not put as eloquently as No More Land Bro did, uh, is a big, uh, was a big concern for, or is a big concern for a lot of people. Uh, they assume that everything has to be perfect all of the time. Otherwise the house of cards fails and then you are penniless and you have to go back looking for a job. And because you haven't been working a traditional job for two to three years, uh, then you're going to be SOL and you'll be, you know, getting food stamps and standing in line for the soup kitchen and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, the validity I would like to give this is, yeah, if you, if your cash flow is based off the fact that when everything's perfect, you're barely making it work, uh, then I do not advise that model. And that's not the model we go off of. Um, we've, we've had the privilege of having seven years worth of numbers going through a pandemic and now into a recession. And so we've seen how, um, we've seen how our tenants behave. We've seen how the market behaves. We've seen how prices have moved and all of that has been in, in line with our expectation or actually quite uh, a bit more beneficial than we had ever expected. So, so all the things are working either in our favor, if you want to put it that way, or giving us, getting us to a point where it's not getting harder. It's actually getting easier. Um, or we're actually making more as, as time goes on, as, as prices have, have gone up and all of that. And w- even though we're not gouging our tenants, uh, we still have raised rates because taxes have gone up a little bit here and there. Um, insurance insurance has that. definitely got up uh, here in Colorado and all of that. So we were mindful of that. And then the, yeah, the rents will have to, will have to follow. They'll have to um, stay in line with those, those situations. And fortunately uh, the market um, allows us to keep everything in line and has us still uh, priced below some other people. Think compounding returns in the market, but it happens in real estate in other ways, which Brings up a point. How did the pandemic affect us? Did we have cash flow still during the pandemic? Yeah, we did. We had a, a few tenants that um, let us know early that they would would be losing their jobs, and they informed us they would be moving out. So we worked with them, and then we were easily uh, able to to fill those those places. And like I said, for our existing tenants, we kept uh, the prices the same. In Memphis, where we don't do any property management out there, our property managers uh, work closely with the city of Memphis and the state of Tennessee to help those people impacted out there with job loss and reduced hours to to use um, the the programs that were made available through I don't know federal or local or or state governments um, to do rental assistance. So we did see some impact, but it was um, it was not near as much as maybe. Uh, one might imagine uh, very minimal in the grand scheme of things. Uh, like if if you didn't know it was a pandemic year, you'd look at it and say, "Oh, this is a a year where that some months were better than others and some months were worse than the others." So it was still in line with uh, how we expected them to perform. Yes. Okay. This is my last uh, negative one before maybe answering one more question that seemed easy and valid, and then maybe just sharing a few positive ones. I'm bringing this one up on purpose. So, Aso Dog said, they live like vagrants if spending $100 on groceries. Yeah, BS. So, there were many that missed the point on that, which I just thought was funny that Chris used to do that. But it was in a larger conversation and many questions about our budget. Uh, do we live off of $100 per month on groceries? No. 
Did they have time to answer all of our food budgeting answers and questions in this eight-minute video? No, they don't. It was just a game where we also had pantry items that needed to be used up, freezer items. We did both, and I think I cried and yelled at you the months <laughs> you wanted to live off of $100 um, for our grocery budget. Yeah, it was just a fun little challenge, or I thought it was. Um, I think there was a, a time when it was like no shave November where people, men would grow out facial hair. Um, well, I was like, well, besides, I, I'd already don't shave, so that's not fun. But what if we no grocery store November? So we just lived off of our, our deep freeze, our pantry, all the things that, excuse me, uh, <laughs> I'm quite gassy right now. Uh, all the things that we had already purchased, why not use those rather than letting them potentially turn into wasted uh, groceries and food? And also the side benefit of not having to spend much on groceries that month, which we could then turn into something more in alignment with our values or fun stuff like uh, Christmas shopping or saving for the next rental property. Yeah. So just to answer the other questions, no, we don't use food pantries or those kinds of things for our groceries. And no, we do not spend $100 a month on groceries. We value food and we value healthy food. So we spend a decent chunk more than that on our monthly budget for groceries. Yeah, this one, uh, Kryman, uh, kind of a funny one that I thought, are these the Hoomers we're supposed to hate? I thought they may mean boomers because um, maybe boomers get a lot of hate on Reddit. I or maybe know. we don't know modern. Yeah. Like. So maybe it's a blend of boomers and someone else. Are these the Hoomers we're supposed to hate? Or is the SFH, single family home, people who just bought a home for their family that we're supposed to hate, please direct me on who I'm supposed to hate. <laughs> and <then laughs> GR7070 uh, replied uh, to, to make sure that they knew who all they could hate on Reddit. And their answer was everyone old, period. Anyone wealthy, period. Anyone with high income, regardless of wealth. Anyone with investment real estate, regardless of the fact some need or want to rent. Even if you're not included in any of the above, if you hang out here long enough, eventually you'll hate yourself. <laughs> good <laughs> so, point. Great GR point to those, to, to those folks. Wow, that's pretty good. Okay, Chris, question for you based on YouTube comments. What is the budgeting software you use? People would like to know. We use YNAB. You need a budget. Um, you need a budget.com or YNAB.com. We'll get you there. Google, you need a budget. Um, I think we pay, we got grandfathered in, maybe we pay $70, $80 a year. Um, it auto imports all of our transactions from our banks and credit cards. And then all we have to do is either at the time of purchase or set aside time within the week or month to go through all those transactions and categorize them as, as groceries or discretionary or vacation or travel or gas or bill utilities or whatnot. Okay, very good. I am ready to move on to the thank you column of my comments, but if you still have some more to go. Nope, hit it. Okay, cool. So thank you for these nice comments. Adam Mora said, what a lovely couple and fam. Good for them. Was that an okay accent? That was very nice. <laughs> Do you want me to keep going? Sure. Engineering Goat said, I instantly recognize the voices from Go Bucket Yourself. I really enjoy the podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much. We're glad to have you. Uh, Karima Wahab said, lovely people. Nice. And yeah. maybe one more. 
No, that's okay. Go ahead. No, that's uh, I was going to say there was, there was one that I thought I pulled because I wanted to make sure that I pulled out one that showed hate. Um, so unfortunately I'm not going to be able to give proper credit, uh, to where credit is due, but basically someone said, uh, uh, the the gist of it was uh, similarly to you, like how could how could you be so underachieving and only making subway money? Um, this person basically said, how could this person uh, leave his job when his wife had health conditions? Mm-hmm. So it was it was way more eloquent than that, and and a little more uh, uh, had a little more sharp tongue to it than that. But it did, uh, it did provide, I guess, a good talking point in that it was hard um, to make that decision because it felt like the safer decision would be to continue working, to continue having exactly a known with our health insurance provider and the continuation of all of that. So that would have been, I guess, the safest approach. It would have been the quote unquote easiest approach, but it still would have meant that we, I was trading away my time um, for, for that security and the both of us, while I'm not sure if the, the article or the piece highlighted it well, but the both of us made a realization that we're not guaranteed time. So if I decided I wanted to work so that my wife had good quality health insurance and I had a good salary for the next 10 years, and then something happened to where something happened to you, either with your con- current medical conditions or just some, some accident happens to you. And I potentially had less time with you because I spent 40 plus hours a week at a job. I was willing to make that trade off in the experiment of what would it look like if we utilize the money we do have now, take a few risks here and there, but now have access to the fact that on a Tuesday we can go on a, a date in Denver or we can spend weeks out of the country together or we can do all of those things that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise if we stayed in the safe bosom of our traditional nine to five jobs. Very good. And just to balance the negative with positive here, two more positive to point out, uh, noting they aren't that hard to find, but they are in here. Ray Taz says, so inspirational heart emoji and One more says, smart, loving, and beautiful family. Glad they're enjoying the best times of their lives. That's D. Snowflake Ashton. So thank you all. Very nice. Thank you, D. Snowflake Ashton. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We are trying to enjoy this time of our life. We tried to enjoy uh, the times in our lives when we were working, and we'll try to enjoy what the next chapter looks like as, as much as we can. We try to bring peace and joy and love into our lives as much as possible. And the chapter of life we're in right now just has it to where we are quote unquote retired, AKA not working all that much compared to uh, a lot of people. And while we recognize there's pros and cons with that, it is giving us an opportunity to do things that we love doing with each other, to do things what we love doing on our own and hopefully be better parents, better spouses to one another, better kids, better friends, better participants in our communities, building communities, inspiration, helpful to other folks, not abusing or using other people to get ahead, but hopefully inspiring and bringing other people up with us. And that feels good to us. So we thank you for all those beautiful comments. And we even are grateful and thankful for uh, the negative comments uh, because they help to 
spot out some places where perhaps there is some uh, misinformation or uh, just reassurance that there is uh, work to be done as far as helping people to understand money and finances. And while we're not the be all end all for that by any means, uh, we try to share our story so that hopefully someone can take a nugget of that and do something amazing in their lives. Well said. <laughs> Debbie, I think that's the first time you've ever queued up uh, one of the little sound things. It officially is. It is. November 21st, 2022. <laughs> All right, friends, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this went a little longer than we wanted to, but uh, uh, yeah, if you made it this far, you know how long it took. So <laughs> you probably could have got the point at minute 20, but hey, we uh, we hope you have a great one. And thank you for listening to the Go Bucket, Your- Bucket Yourself podcast. If you fi- want to find out more from us, you can go to our website, gobucketyourself.com. You can follow Sweet Deborah. Uh, making her subway or used to be making subway money over on Instagram. Oh, at imperfect, I am perfect progress dot me. I don't like the way you spell that because I don't know how to spell it otherwise, though. But it is ironic, isn't it? It is. But that's how you spell it. Yeah. So imperfectprogress.me is where you find Deborah. You can find me at Bucket Yourself. Uh, we try to bounce in there every once in a while, answer some direct messages. So if you've got questions about real estate, financial independence, any of that stuff, we can probably point you to a great resource or podcast um, where we've touched that on that before. Thank you for all the uh, new listeners that are now here. Uh, the piece, besides bringing some hate, uh, brought a, brand, uh, a slew of new followers to our our podcast, to our website, to our mail list, and all of that kind of stuff. So thank you. Uh, welcome to all you new folks. If you've got questions, hit us up. We love to answer questions. Uh, otherwise, you just leave it to us to figure out what the heck you want to listen to. And today we thought you wanted to listen to a bunch of hate comments. So if that's not right, or if that is right, let us know. Much love to you all. May this have brought you some laughs, and may you find some more today and every day. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, I think I have a canned laughter. Nope. <laughs> There it is, Deb. There it is. All right. Have a great day, friends.